0: Good morning, new community. It's so great to see all of your faces in this space. The scripture reading for today will be up on the screen for you to follow along.
1: It's from Jeremiah 29, four through seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles
0: whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, It's good to be back together. Before I go any further, uh, I think it was after the first song that Samuel over here started to clap. I could be wrong. I looked over that way. I think he's on to something. We're worshiping God, and yet we can't sing and do some of the normal things, but we certainly can clap. I think that's a great idea, Samuel. So let's do that now. And there is a part of me that does not know what to say in this moment. Uh, then there's a part of me that, if you know, know me at all, or like you probably have a ton of things you want to say and don't have enough time for them, which is also true. Uh, but this is a day we've been looking forward to for some time. And um, in complete honesty and transparency, when we closed down, I thought, well, in about three weeks, we should get back together. And that should be enough time. And, uh, and then I was like, well, if I'm pessimistic, it might last till the summer. And now here we sit, one year removed, almost to the day from being together last time in this space. And uh, it is, in some ways, quite overwhelming. A lot has transpired. There have been... Loss and pain and highs and lows, there have been weddings, several couples in the church. There obviously are people with a lot of time on their hands because we've got about seven new babies coming soon. And uh, there are people buying houses and people recovering from illnesses and sickness and uh, today... We are back together with an opportunity to do what we love to do, and that is to worship Jesus together. And so I'm excited for this moment. Before we get into the passage for this morning, uh, we have a corporate prayer. And yesterday, as I was kind of reading through the prayer again, um, I felt impressed to read Psalm 133, Uh, both Psalm 133 and the prayer that was read last week that you Probably heard on the podcast that we are going to repeat this week. Both of them speak to this idea of being a collective group together and the importance of being community. Um, so if you would, stand with me. We're gonna, I'm going to read Psalm 133, and then uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in reading our corporate prayer together. Psalm 133 reads this way, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes it is like the dew of hermon which falls on the mountains of zion for there the lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together and if you would join me in praying this prayer together collectively. We know sometimes we are alone, and sometimes we are in community. Sometimes we are in shadow, and sometimes we are surrounded by shelter. Sometimes we feel like exiles in our land, in our languages, and in our bodies. And sometimes we feel surrounded by welcome. As we seek to be human together, may we share the things that do not fade. Generosity, truth-telling, silence, respect, and love. May the powers we share be for the good of all. And we honor God, the source of this rich life, and we honor each other, story full and lovely. Whether in our shadow or in our shelter, may we live well and fully with each other. Amen. You may be seated. Now last week we were uh, in the Jesus series focused on a particular passage And it was one that Jesus was speaking to his disciples in a moment of fear, in a moment of kind of transition, and he said this to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And last week we sought to remind each of us that it is important for us to pause and reflect and be willing to acknowledge the loss of the last year. But at the same time, to allow the presence and the peace of God to comfort and encourage us as we continue on mission. We all have a responsibility as a community of missionaries to continue to move forward and um, for the good of this city. And so this week, the passage we're looking at is a bit peculiar. Um, As the staff planned out over a year, kind of in advance, the teaching schedule... Uh, We had no idea when we would get back together, nor what we would be teaching on on that particular Sunday, and we came to this particular Sunday as the Sunday we would regather, and I looked at the passage and went, man, this is a little weird to start with. And then we decided to leave it that way because it seemed the most appropriate for several reasons. So our passage this morning really focuses on a particular moment of raw emotion, In the life of Jesus, our passage says this And when he, being Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So we have this account of Jesus weeping for the city. And before we go a little bit deeper into that passage, what I want to do is highlight something else that I think should also cause us to weep, something that should cause our hearts to break. Our nation has been visited again by extreme violence. This time, the violence was directed against members of our Asian American and Pacific Islander community. Asian, anti-Asian hate has been on an alarming rise in our nation throughout this pandemic. And both Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders have experienced extremely high rates of violence and racist violence tied to COVID-19. In fact, in this year, last year alone, there have been 3,000 to 4,000 incidents, at least that have been recorded towards Asian Americans. In fact, this week alone, Uh, In Seattle, another church for the fourth time was targeted with anti-Asian graffiti and racist remarks over their building and on their grounds. And these tragic events, I think, remind us of the continued need to collectively pursue racial equality with all of our brothers and sisters. I think we should weep with those who weep and mourn for the lost lives of people who bear the image of the divine. And this lament, I'm persuaded, should motivate us to denounce hate and violence against the Asian community and all other communities. I thought this morning it would be important as people of faith to remember this passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that says this, There is no longer Jew or Greek, There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you, all of us, are one in Christ Jesus. And understanding these words of unity in Christ mean that crime and hatred towards the Asian American community is unacceptable, as is crime and hatred towards our black, indigenous, immigrant, Jewish, Muslim, and LGBTQ communities. This week I was uh, reading and I came across a particular quote in um, the Confessions of the Presbyterian Church of 1967. I wasn't just reading the Confessions again. I just happened to come across this section. And it says this, In each time and place, there are particular problems and crises through which God calls the church to act. The church guided by the Spirit humbled by its own complicity and instructed by all attainable knowledge, seeks to discern the will of God and learn how to obey in these concrete situations. And I think together it is my prayer that we will continue to discern how best to stand and to obey with all who are experiencing anything less than the perfect shalom of God. I thought it would be appropriate for us for a few moments to pray in silence and just quiet ourselves in this space to pray for our brothers and sisters and then we will look at Luke 19:41 so let's in quiet pray lord we ask that you would hear our prayers Luke 19:41 i'll read this section again it says and when he jesus drew near and saw the city He wept over it. He wasn't just moved with compassion. He was moved with tears. And the Greek word translated wept here in this passage means bawling or weeping loudly. It carries with it the idea not just of a tear or two welling up in the corner of Jesus' eye, but tears cascading down his cheeks, that he was broken for the city. And this is a pattern that you see in leaders of faith. You see Esther, who's weeping over the city, weeping over the fact that her people are being hurt. You see in Nehemiah, when he sees the city in ruins, weeping over the city and begging God to do something miraculous. Pope Francis makes this statement, today's world needs to weep. The marginalized weep, those left aside weep, the scorned weep, but those of us who lead a life more or less without needs don't know how to weep. Certain realities of life are only seen with eyes cleansed by tears." William Booth, uh, a famous missionary who started the Salvation Army and went around the world sharing the gospel, was asked, what does he need in terms of volunteers? And he said to a group of volunteers one time, if you cannot weep over the city, then we can't use you. We don't need you if it doesn't break you to the center of who you are, because we need to be people who absolutely love others and love the city. What's interesting about this particular passage is that the wordage of the passage says in some ways that you can't weep unless you've learned how to draw near. It says that Jesus drew near to the city, saw it and then wept. And what's interesting to me is that our heart can never really, truly be broken for the city until we immerse ourselves in it, till we know it's people, till we live in the neighborhoods, till we care for the people. On the corners. I think this is why Jesus is said of him that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That if we see Jesus, we see a person immersed in the lives of people, moving in and out of the cities and towns and caring for real people. He got close enough to know their pain, he sat with them in their injustice. He was socially abused. He experienced racial inequality. He witnessed racism. And in the midst of that, he was one of the oppressed. And he drew near. He didn't shy away, he stepped closer. You might ask yourself the question how are we to do that? And Jesus sets this perfect model how are we to follow that example? I felt as we regathered, it might be wise of us to re-look at a passage we looked at three years ago or four years ago when we entered this building. The passage says this, "...but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." I think this in some ways outlines for us the very way that we can engage and care for and love this city. And the first part is just to seek the welfare of the city. Anytime we seek something, it it carries with it this idea that we will attempt or desire to obtain or to do something about what it is we're seeking. It invites action. So to seek the peace of the city means that we are active participants, that we're not spectators. We don't just stand by, we actually engage in something meaningful. It means we seek to enhance the economic, the social, the cultural, and the spiritual well-being of this city. It means that we pursue community transformation, that we become instruments of God's new creation, his kingdom work here in Spokane. It also means that success for our community is not determined by what takes place on a Sunday morning, but what takes place the other six days. It's what takes place in our neighborhoods and our places of employment. It's what takes place in the community clubs we engage in and with the people we're around Because what we want to see is lives transformed. We want to see the city changed. We want to see the gospel spread in Spokane. And so first, we're told to seek the welfare of the city. Second, we're asked to pray to the Lord on its behalf. The Hebrew word for prayer here means to fall down, as if to fall down pleading in prayer crying out, asking God to move. Eugene Peterson, when speaking of prayer, says this, prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being or becoming. Prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. And I think what that requires is imagination. To pray with a level of imagination. And if I'm honest, that's something that has been in short supply for me in my prayer life recently. While I may be committed to praying, I don't know that I am praying with the kind of imagination that that maybe invokes a pleading, a desiring, a dreaming of what could be. I think often when we think of prayer that we think of it in terms of its power or its function or its efficacy. I think we think of it in those kinds of terms. So maybe we think about how it fuels our work in the city, or we pray for insight and wisdom, maybe pray for compassionate hearts, or that the ministry of this community would affect or impact the city. But I think we still at times, and speaking primarily for myself, that I pray in those ways, but I do it without the kind of imagination that maybe I'm being called into. To view imagination as prayer and prayer as imagination, let me give you an example. Uh, This weekend I was working with a married couple that is in a fairly broken relationship. And certainly I prayed about it, and certainly they're praying about it, and we collectively as a staff are praying about it. But I don't know if I've prayed with the kind of imagination where I would envision a healed relationship and what that would look like and what that would feel like for this couple. To pray with the kind of imagination that you're dreaming what the perfect and ideal scenario is, could become the other morning I was walking on the sidewalk coming in it was just another morning as usual and uh, over this last year I've been in this building often and um, there have been lines of people all the way to the bank in for meals And this last week as I was coming in, it just struck me in a different way. This particular morning, I got here at a different time. The meal was already over. Everybody had been fed. And in this flower bed, there was a man asleep. And then on the corner, on the stairs you came in, there were three or four people still eating and hanging out and figuring out what the day would look like. And then the next flower bed, there was a woman asleep. And then right in front of our front door... One more man sleeping. And it hit me that, yes, I've prayed about that, but I don't think I've prayed with a kind of imagination of what a healed city would look like. Can we envision the people that we pray for and envision a marriage is fixed Sickness is cured, problems solved, racism confronted, the city caring for each of its inhabitants well. Can we imagine even what a healed nation could look like? Do we pray with that kind of envisioning, that kind of imagination that that we could see what a city would look like with equality or what a nation would look like that has pure and utter equality? The Hebrew word worldview that is taking place in this particular passage is speaking to this idea of God saving and healing and blessing and bringing all of life under his rule and reign. That is what is being described, this perfect idea of shalom. And to pray for shalom is to pray for souls, but more than that, it is to pray for streets is to pray for health care, is to pray for schools and equality and arts and families and so much more. And it is to believe with imagination that what we are praying for is God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And then the text wraps up with an outcome, that if that's how we seek the shalom of the city and that's how we pray with imagination that it would come, the outcome is this, that in its welfare, you will find welfare. In its peace, you will find peace. In its wholeness, you will find wholeness. And I felt it important this morning that as we regathered to do two things. One, uh, to, to remind ourselves the, the beauty and the joy of getting back together and being together present with one another. But also I think to remind ourselves again that when Jesus was in those moments where he was united with his disciples or he's he coming to a pivotal moment that he kept reminding them that there's something more at stake. There's something bigger that we're a part of, some grand narrative that we get to participate in, and that is inviting us to say, God, would you do something amazing in our midst? Would you do it in this building? Would you do it among this group of people? But would you do it for this city? Would you care for this city as we care for this city? And what we want to do this morning is just to take a few moments and pray with imagination. I'm going to ask you to pray where you are, and and just I'll give you a, a minute or so to just be thinking and praying, and and feel free to pray out loud if you desire, or to pray in your heart, or silently. Uh, in just a moment, um, Greg Connolly, one of our elders, is going to come, and he's going to pray for us specifically. He's going to pray for this community that God would continue to bring healing and joy, and and just a desire to know and love him to this group, and that he would ask God to continue to do the amazing work that he's doing in our midst. And he's going to pray, hopefully, with imagination about what that would look like, and then Joseph's going to come immediately following and pray for our city and pray for justice and pray for healing. And then um, then we'll carry on with the rest of the service. Just take a moment and quiet
1: yourself now. Amen. You can stay seated, but would you join me, new community, in reading together the Apostles Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body in life everlasting. Amen.